I'm not willing to abdicate church. I'm not willing to give up big words like salvation and sanctification and close, you know, and community to everyone else and not participate in those things myself. And so a big part of that, like you said, is there's a lot of Sundays where I show up and I'm like, I could pretty much be at home watching a sermon, you know, or listening to whatever music on TV. It's not about that. Right? It's about the communal nature of being together. It's about what we, what happens when we're together, being prayed for, being seen, of worshiping together, of learning together, of walking through life together. And there's, I will say there's not a time that I don't end up at church after dragging my feet there the whole way that I don't leave being incredibly grateful that I came. Welcome to episode 39 of the Spirituality for Ordinary People podcast. My name is Matt Bruff, and I'm a pastor and an author and a podcaster, obviously, since you're listening to this podcast. Episode 39, this episode features an interview with Sarah Bessie. Uh, She's the author of a couple of books, Jesus Feminist and Out of Sorts, and has also written for numerous publications, and she speaks and preaches, teaches regularly. Uh, I found out pretty quickly as well that Sarah is just super generous and gracious. You are going to love this interview. Um, what she shared is is actually really tough to summarize, so I had trouble kind of writing the show notes for this, um, but, but you can go and see those, and there's links to her books there and things like that. Um, so if you go to spiritualityforordinarypeople.com slash Sarah, you'll find uh, some information there about her and just a quick summary of the interview. Uh, but basically, we talked about Jesus, church, and how her introduction to ancient practices helped her find a home in a time when she was hurting uh, and experiencing unanswered prayers. So, I mean, it's an incredible interview. Uh, we cover tons of things in it. Uh, now, if you're a regular listener, you'll already notice there are some different things about this introduction. And the introduction today, I should warn you, is going to be just a little bit longer than usual. Um, so if you're just here to listen to the interview with Sarah, you can always just skip ahead and uh, go and try and find that uh, the starting point of the interview. But if you're a regular listener, you'll know, first of all, um, you might ask, what happened to episode 38? We went from 37 and then now we're at 38, uh, 39. Um, actually, what I'm doing is I'm counting. I did a, a bunch of Christmas mini episodes where every day of the Christmas season for the 12 days, there were different things. And I didn't think it was great to count those each one as an episode. So I'm counting them all as one big episode, just split up into multiple parts. So you have a whole bunch of them. Uh, sitting in your podcast feed if you subscribe. And if you don't, you really should go to the link and hit one of the subscribe things and your podcasts just show up automatically on your phone or whatever device you're listening on. Uh, Yeah, so basically this is going to be episode 39. The other thing you'll notice is there wasn't a nice fancy musical intro kind of explaining what the podcast is about. Um, Really what this podcast is about is just talking about spirituality, talking about Uh, talking with people, interviews mainly with pastors, authors, uh, just ordinary folk as well. Um, We're all kind of ordinary folk, uh, (laughs) ordinary people. Uh, Talking about how we best follow Jesus. What do we do in our lives in following Jesus? 
And uh, it used to be, this podcast used to be called Spirituality for Normal People, and I had a little kind of tagline or uh, explanation, not that anyone's normal. And it was kind of trying to be a bit clever or tongue-in-cheek, um, and and it was good, but I, you know, a couple of guests actually ended up calling the podcast, I think just accidentally, they ended up just calling it Spirituality for Ordinary People. And every time I heard that, I thought, oh, maybe I should have called the podcast Spirituality for Ordinary People. So now I've changed the name and I'm in the process of kind of uh, catching up to the name change by changing graphics on the website and and uh, haven't had time to record a new intro for the podcast. And I, I may not actually record one. I might just kind of uh, leave off the, uh, the little same intro every week kind of thing. Um, but anyway, uh, I wanted to let you know that I made that change and I actually asked my listeners um, and people who subscribe to my email, uh, which you can do at the website as well, just by downloading the the six tips guide that is there. So if you see something about six tips when you go and visit the website, even if you don't want that, if you sign up for that, then you'll get emails from me just kind of with updates and things like questions like, should I change the name of the podcast? Uh, so I asked uh, people through that and through social media um, should I change the name from normal to ordinary? And I heard back from a whole bunch of people, actually, which was great. So 73% of the people who responded to should I change the name said yes, change it to ordinary. 16% said no, stay with normal. And then without prompting, uh, I actually got four people who said, uh, what about spirituality for real people? And so I considered that as well. Uh, and then I had one person who said, what about spirituality for everyday people? And so I kind of went through all of those and I thought it might be kind of fun to just read to you a few of the emails that I got back, um, from people. Cause I thought people were actually pretty thoughtful about, uh, their responses. Um, so here we go. Uh, this one was from Dave and he wrote this, I think both normal and ordinary are good, but both words could have some negative connotations in some people's minds. On first impression, normal could trigger an association with abnormal and ordinary could trigger an association with bland. Why not try something that might have more positive connotations like spirituality for real people? So this is one of the people in favor of real. As you wrote, spirituality is for real people with real lives. To my mind, at least, getting real implies being honest and open with other people. That, I think, would have a more positive ring because the focus of the word association is both inward to the mind and outward toward other people relating with each other. In contrast, I think normal and ordinary sound apologetically awkward <laughs> and point more toward an individual as an individual rather than towards someone openly sharing with others. As well, real can imply tangible, which is a nice counterpoint to spirituality, which sounds ethereal. Just my two cents worth. Uh, so that was from Dave. And uh, thanks, Dave, for, for writing that in. I didn't end up going with real, and I'm going to go with ordinary. Uh, but I think Dave makes some really good points here. Um, and uh, and I'm really thankful for that, uh, that response. I do think there's... Uh, language is kind of a slippery thing. And, um, and this kind of got me thinking a lot about that, about kind of how language works and our word choices and what they might mean. I think actually there's a negative connotation to real as well, spirituality for real people. 
Um, you know, does that mean there's some people who are fake? Uh, so, you know, and, and does that mean that there's a bunch of other podcasts out there or books out there that are really just kind of faking it? Um, so I think no matter what word is chosen, probably there's some flip side to that word that is not going to be particularly helpful. So I think part of why I went with ordinary was just to try to say, you know, this is, it's not about bland or anything like that. It's just about, this is just for regular people, real people, everyday people, normal people, just, just for like your everyday life. So, I mean, somebody suggested everyday was a good word too. Uh, so here we go. Um, someone else, uh, this is a few people from my congregation wrote in, I think Dave, uh, is the, I think that's the Dave from my congregation, I believe so. Uh, and then a queen wrote in and she's someone from my church. She wrote, I would stick with normal because ordinary sound sort of suggests not being special in a way, whereas normal suggests nothing is wrong or strange. And like you stated in your first podcast, there's nothing wrong with being normal, and people find that sometimes comforting to know that they're normal. But for someone to be called ordinary almost pokes a hole in their chest. It's belittling. I'd rather be called normal than ordinary. So again, sorry, Queen, I went with ordinary. That's what most people wanted. And, um, and again, I don't, it's not trying to belittle. It's, uh, it's really just trying to say a similar thing to, to nor- what normal was trying to say. Uh, okay, here's one in favor of ordinary. On the one side, your podcasts are geared toward more ordinary people, e.g. people who aren't clergy, etc. And so that title suits it. On the other side, People sometimes view clergy and people who are heavily involved with religious activities as not normal. So that title, despite your intro that there are no normal people, is attention-getting. Of course, that leads to the question, if I have an active spiritual life, am I not normal? If you are looking for a plain, not-tongue-in-cheek title that best suits the concept of the podcast, I would go for Spirituality for Ordinary People. That was from Dan. Thanks, Dan, for writing that in and um, and giving your thoughts on that. And I kind of agree with you that uh, I think I think ordinary works as a plain, not tongue-in-cheek title, or less tongue-in-cheek than the normal title, anyway. All right, a uh, couple more. Uh, Mark wrote in in favor of every day, and this is what Mark wrote. He said, "What's in a name? How about spirituality for everyday people? What is normal? What is ordinary?" I think your meaning is spirituality for everyone who's just making their way in life like I am and are looking for a word of encouragement. But that's pretty long, Mark. I really love this, Mark. I think this is such a great (laughs) email that you sent in, so I'm thankful for it. Uh, Yeah, it probably would be a bit of a long podcast title to say spirituality for everyone who's just making their way in life like I am and are looking for a word of encouragement. But that's a pretty good description of what this podcast is about. There you go. Uh, Finally, Sheila wrote in with this very short email. Normal is a setting on the dryer. Go with ordinary. Thank you, Sheila. Um, Always direct and to the point, and I like it, and I agreed with you. So uh, I hereby declare that the, the name of the podcast is now going to be Spirituality for Ordinary People. And I guess, so this is episode 39, but it's the inaugural podcast with the new name and what a great guest today. We've got Sarah Bessie. Um, I also wanted to let you know about a couple of other things So before we get to the interview. Uh, first, if you are an iTunes user, uh, even if you're not, maybe 
Um, I would love it if you could leave a review of this podcast on iTunes. Uh, that makes a huge difference for people finding the podcast. And um, so it, it's not super hard to do. Um, the best way I found is to go on your computer on iTunes and just search for the podcast. Just search for spirituality for ordinary people now. And, uh, and then just go and leave a rating and a review in there. Uh, and, uh, and that helps people to find it. Uh, the other thing you can do that is just, uh, great if you would like to, is to follow me on Instagram and I've created an Instagram account just for spirituality for ordinary people.com. So I'm also on there as Matt Bruff, uh, or Matthew Bruff, I guess. Uh, but, uh, if you want to find me on Instagram, you can actually go to this podcast episode on spirituality for ordinary people.com slash Sarah. And there will be a little thing over on the right, I think, that'll have a link to the Instagram account. So you can just find it that way. It's probably easier. Um, I guess you could just search in Instagram as well. Uh, finally, you can also support this podcast on Patreon. You can provide financial support and that'll go towards buying uh, new equipment um, and also covering the hosting fees because it costs money to host podcasts uh, at a good podcast hosting company. Um, so if you want to support, you can go to patreon.com slash Matthew Bruff. So P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash M-A-T-T-H-E-W-B-R-O-U-G-H. And yes, you heard correctly. My last name is pronounced Bruff. Uh, all right. This week... Uh, I'm going to be in Vancouver later this week. So if you're listening to this in real time right now, this podcast is going out on January 16th, 2018, and I'm going to be in Vancouver on January 20th and for a few days after that. And so if you happen to be in the Vancouver area and you want to connect in person, I would, uh, I would love that. That would be great. Uh, I'm actually going to be at St. Andrew's Hall, uh, which is my old school, St. Andrew's Hall and Vancouver School of Theology. Uh, that's where I went to school. I went to seminary there. I spent five years there way back when. And I'm going to be hosting a conversation or leading a conversation around church planting because that's something that I've done. And uh, that's going to be at St. Andrew's Hall at nine in the morning. So for the whole morning. And if you're interested in that at all, you can, I mean, if you know where that is, you can probably just show up that morning and they'll, they'll take you in. But I think they would love to know the numbers of people. So if you are interested at all, you can go to their website, which is standrews.edu. So it actually looks like standrews.edu. Um, so S-T-A-N-D-R-E-W-S dot E-D-U. I'm spelling lots of web addresses today. All right, so if you go there uh, right away, and I think there's a thing up at the top, you can see uh, uh, there's a link there that you can just click on, and you'll, you'll see information about what I'm doing there on Saturday morning. I'm also going to be preaching on Sunday at City Center Church in Surrey, uh, and their service is at 10 in the morning, so feel free to come on out. Uh, but that's just going to be great. I'm looking forward to that and visiting with that congregation on uh, on Sunday. And then there's a few other places where I'm doing a couple of things. Again, most of those are at the school. I'm also going to be visiting uh, St. Andy's Table, which is a, a church plant that uh, meets on Sunday evenings. Um, but if 
even if you just want to say, hey, do you have time for coffee? I don't, I can't promise that I will (laughs) uh, have time for coffee, but I might. So if you want to know more about where I'm going to be speaking at uh, while I'm there, or just want to know, uh, hey, could we meet up? Send me an email. Uh, You can email me at matt at mattbruff.com. All right, we're going to go into the interview, um, but I'm just going to tell you a couple of things about it before we get into it. You, Especially early on in the interview, you can hear how nervous I am in this interview because Sarah, like I'm, a, I'm an author as well. I've written a couple of books, but Sarah Bessie is a phenomenal author. Like go and get her books and read them because they are fantastic. So I was super nervous to talk to her, um, but she was, she was just so gracious and great. And it really is a, a good interview. Um, really because of her, uh, but I kind of blab on a little bit uh, in the early part of the interview, kind of like I am now. Uh, but you, uh, we don't talk at all about uh, probably the book that she's maybe most known for. Uh, we don't talk at all about Jesus Feminist in this interview, but you should go and read it. Uh, I'll just give you a, a bit of a hint about this book. Um This is what Sarah says on her website about Jesus Feminist. She says, I also wrote a little yellow book called Jesus Feminist a couple of years ago. It's not really a book about Christian feminist theory. That's absolutely true, isn't it? I see it as a book about the kingdom of God and what life looks like when you live into the other side of so many of our missing the point gender debates in the church. Uh, This is actually perhaps today, it might even be a more important book in today's climate than it was even when it came out. So I really recommend you go and and read Jesus Feminist, even though that's not the focus of this uh, podcast. She does talk about feminism in the book, but I I think it's kind of got a provocative title uh, to hook you in, but it's just a book of great depth about the kingdom. And she, she talks very openly about women's place in the church and um and what it means uh and different ways of thinking about it and how a lot of our debates about gender in the church do in fact miss the point so uh, yeah it's it's great go go and read it um mainly we focus on her book out of sorts and toward the end of uh this interview i mentioned that i was going to read an excerpt from Out of Sorts in my intro and excerpt around hope. Um, But this intro is already super long. And honestly, so I'm I'm not actually going to read the excerpt, but uh, because what I was planning to read was just adding even more. But it is phenomenal. So really just go and get the book and read the whole thing, because you're going to want to read the whole thing. Um, You're going to want to read more and listen to more Sarah Bessie after this, because she is just so great. So Anyway, I was just thrilled to interview her and also very nervous, as you will hear. Um, But I do hope that you enjoy this interview today with Sarah Bessie. Thanks for listening. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome Sarah Bessie to the podcast. Welcome, Sarah. It's so great to have you here. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah. And um, in the intro, people will have heard kind of about you and your writing and your books, if they're not familiar with you already. Um, and mostly today, I really want to talk about uh, Out of Sorts. Um, the two books of yours that I've, that I've read, um, 
that are that people can go and get that they should go and read are out of sorts and Jesus feminist. Um, and I read Jesus feminist uh, probably earlier this year anyway, and then had to move on to out of sorts right away. Cause I love Jesus feminist so much actually. Um, and then out of sorts kind of blew me away. It's an amazing book. I just loved it. Thank you. Um, Thank you so, so much. So I'd love to dive into some of the things that I got out of the book and just kind of hear what you might want to share or have to say about it. Um, so in reading the book, your love for Jesus and your knowledge of Jesus loves for you is something that comes shining through. Like that was something that really hit me. Um, and I kept thinking as I was reading, Oh, I, I want a relationship with her Jesus, like with Sarah's Jesus. And then I, and then I kept to have, having to remind myself, oh, I already do have that relationship. Um, but it just, the way that you talked about it was just fantastic. And partly I just wanted to ask you on the podcast and say, can we just talk about Jesus for a little bit? Um, <laughs> but, uh, but that might be a little, that might be the entire podcast or, or whatever. Um, but there was something that you wrote about your family becoming Christians. And I wondered if maybe that was maybe where your, your love for Jesus comes from is, is sort of from your family background. I don't know. Um, and you, you talked about that, uh, your family becoming Christians as messy, experiential, consuming, and demonstrative. And then you essentially call all of that resurrection, right? You said, what is this life in Christ like, if not a bit of disorderly resurrection? And I thought that is just beautiful. But I also want to ask you, what do you, what do you mean by that? Or where hmm. does your love for Jesus really come from? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's probably a... Um, a multi-layered story. I think like most people there, there are always, um, you know, embarking points. And then there is a way where you feel like you're almost going, um, on a journey and endlessly surprised. I think that that's how I felt about, um, Jesus really from the time I was a kid. So my parents were first generation Christians. Um, they came to, uh, faith when they were probably about my age now. And I was about the age of my own children, uh, who are all in, you know, middle school, late elementary school right now. Um, with, well, with one exception, we also have one little toddler. And, um, and so when they, uh, came to faith, when we all did, it was a turn your life upside down sort of experience. I mean, for us, we were under no illusions that we had our stuff together. Like we, just, we knew we needed Jesus. We knew we needed healing. We had zero pride or hubris in this conversation. We were like, we are a hot mess and we need all, all the Jesus, all of it. And so, and so for us, it was um, reorienting. It reoriented our family priorities. It reoriented our conversation. It reoriented how we spent our money, um, what we did with our time, the friends that we made, the people we spent time with, the things that we cared about, our politics, our opinions. I mean, everything was reset by coming to know who Jesus is. Um, one of my earliest memories, I don't think I put this in the book. I can't remember for sure, but one of my earliest memories is um, the church that we were at. It was actually a Presbyterian church. I know you're, you're a Presbyterian yeah. pastor. So. Um, that's a little bit of our, our story as well. And so we were at this small Presbyterian church, and the ladies asked my mom to help them teach the Sunday school class, which mainly consisted of, consisted of me and like two other kids um, and my sister. And she thought she didn't know enough about the Bible or about anything really to be able to actually teach the class, but she said she could come and be a helper 
And really, she just wanted to listen. And so like my earliest memories of Sunday school or of church or is my mom sitting beside me in those little kindergarten plastic chairs, you know, the ones where yep, your knees yep. are up around your ears when you're a grown up. Mm-hmm. And uh, she was sitting there with me and we would listen to these parables about Jesus together and we would look at each other and she'd go, isn't he amazing? And I'd say, <laughs> yes, he's amazing. <laughs> like we just could not believe the scam we'd gotten away with by getting to know Jesus, you know? And so that was definitely a starting point for me. Um, I think like a lot of people, the Jesus that I feel like I felt um, uh, acquainted with or got to know was um, safe and comfortable and kind and good. And I think that's a good place to start. I think that's a really good place for a lot of people to start. I know people like to hate on Sunday school a lot for, for particular reasons, but I think it's, you always start from somewhere and I'd rather start from the benevolence of God than anything else. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it was later on in my life. And a lot of that's the reason why out of sorts kind of was even born was because I felt like I lost Jesus in church. Mm-hmm. Um, like I was really good at following church and not so good about actually knowing who Jesus was anymore. And it was uh, later in my life, and my husband had been a pastor, and um, and we were out of ministry now, and we had children, and I just kind of hit this wall of saying, like, I just cannot do this anymore. I think like a lot of people in this um, this age and stage, I'm in Gen X, but I know a lot of millennials are also experiencing that, and, um, and people who are boomers or, uh, you know, and all sorts of generations are experiencing things like that. And... Um, I remember just feeling like I literally could not even use the word Christian anymore Hmm. because it just did not resonate with me. I felt like I could not identify with people who used that name because I just felt like our priorities were so different or the way that they followed Jesus was just so different. I didn't really feel at home in that label anymore. And so I began to call myself um, a follower of Jesus, which seemed to make a tremendous amount of difference to me at the time, (laughs) which is its own part of precious and adorable, I'm sure. But at the time, I think maybe my soul just needed the space that it was giving me. And so I ended up uh, doing that. And it was so funny to me now. I look back on it. It's been probably about 10 years since then, maybe 15. I, I can't remember for sure. But anyway, he... I remember sitting at the table and literally having this like thought dawn on me. If I'm going to call myself a follower of Jesus, I should probably figure out who he is. <laughs> right? Like yeah, it's just like it's the yeah. dumbest thing in the whole wide world, right? And I was like, I actually don't, I know a lot about church and church people and churchy things or social, you know, socioeconomic things of what we're supposed to believe or politics or whatever. But I actually would really kind of like to find that, sun that is the center of the universe for us and figure out what that is like what axis is it that I'm turning on if it's not going to be this I think that a big part of that too is I was wanting to figure out what I was for and not just always be against instead of always identifying myself by what I'm not I'm not like these crazy people I'm not like these ones over here I wanted Mm. to figure out what I was going to be for what I was moving towards rather than what I was moving away from Mm. and that really began um, the journey for me of really getting to know Jesus as an adult. And that is where I really found out how complicated and nuanced and uh, different and, and countercultural and um, just uh, challenging and invitational and beautiful the person of Jesus was. And I remember sitting at our kitchen table and jumping up one time. I think I was reading Luke 6. It would have been like the Sermon on the Mount. And I remember reading it and just almost getting angrier 
the more I spent time with it because I was just like, I, I didn't know. I, how have I missed all this? This is, this is bananas. And I remember like slamming my Bible shut. I'm looking over at my husband. He was in the kitchen and I was at the dining room table and I hollering at him and saying, I would follow this guy. I would. I get it now. I get why people dropped their nets and chased after him. I get why they came running out of, you know, their towns and their villages, why they left everything behind, why they wanted to go wherever he was, because I would do that for this guy. And I felt like it was the first time I really got a chance to actually see and encounter that. And the activity of the Holy Spirit and the communion of, of people and, and believers and other Christians and beginning to see Jesus in all these places where I had no idea Jesus was lurking and just wanting to surprise us. And it just was the embarking point, I think, for a whole new level of being able to understand um, and, and uh, embrace and walk with Jesus, be challenged by Jesus. Um, I mean, Jesus will mess your life up in all the best ways. You know, if you actually pay attention to what he's saying and, and believe he meant it, which I do, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that can change the world. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so what do, you, what do you think, like, what was the focus? Because I think churches are still focused on Jesus, but, but then how is it that we, that we miss? Because I, I think people resonate with this story with what you're saying. I know I do, even as a pastor, it's been a road to get to, oh, right. I'm, I'm, I want to follow Jesus. So I need to know who that is. And I need to like, and then starting to discover other things about Jesus that I didn't really even know. I didn't even necessarily learn in seminary. And like, what is it that the church is maybe sometimes not quite focused on or, or what was being missed or what was the focus on Jesus yeah, or how you know was what? that? I think there's probably a different answer for everyone and where they're coming from. I'll, yeah. I'll also say this. There's a lot of churches who do it really well. Sure. Oh, and, yeah. and even the churches I was at and that I was so, right. you know, highly critical of and yeah. so sure that I would do it better and differently, right? I mean, sometimes it is more a matter of your own journey than it is necessarily the people fully around you. And, and that's one of the things that I think most surprised me about following Jesus is I became very um, anti-institutional uh, for, for a, a good portion of my, my life. And I was never more surprised in my life than when Jesus reintroduced me to church people hmm. yeah. and was like, I love these people. I love the church. Guess what? (laughs) So even that was its own sort of um, disruption. Um, And so, you know, I have a hard time sometimes saying that my experience is indicative or, or even prescriptive for how everybody encountered it. Um, At the time, I think a lot of politics had to do with it. I think um, the national conversations around faith had a lot to do with it. Um, My background where I was coming out of, I mean, my husband was, you know, and I had gone to a a big, um, you know, kind of uh, Christian school uh, in our university years. And um, he was on staff at a a large church in Texas. I mean, just, it was the 9-11. And I mean, all these things were all kind of happening at the the same time. And I think that being able to pull out one thing or another would maybe be, difficult to actually indicate towards it. But I think that the, the core for me was, um, are we, is this a social club or is this something that's going to save the world? Hmm. And I think at a, at a certain point, um, I thought, well, you know what, I can get all this everywhere else. I can get, you know, a craft night or a, you know, get together or whatever, you know, kind of thing that we're, is we're doing here. Um, 
but I was really after I felt like the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. And I know that I'm one of those like Christians that's a little bit like cuckoo on the Holy Spirit. So I get that. And I know it might be a bit much for some people, (laughs) but this sense of like an empowered church for actually the awakening. Right. And, and for me, I, I, I feel like even in these days and in this time, um, I've been really profoundly challenged um, by even those old, you know, uh, old words from scripture, the Pentecostals always love like powers and principalities, mm-hmm. right? Paul, Paul mm-hmm. talks about powers and principalities and now we're not warring against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And I look at the world and I'm like, I don't know what other word you can use for the way things are right now. You know, whether it's poverty and war or, um, you know, racism and patriarchy or, you know, whatever it is that's kind of like ruling things right now. Um, we need like an empowered church for that. And I feel like Jesus is a big part of how those things get toppled and how those things actually happen because it begins in, in transformation and in, in people's hearts. And that to me is where I think a lot of that comes from. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's a difficult question to answer succinctly, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I, I know for me, um, like I always found that I was, I was almost kind of just using Jesus as a tool. Like I was just kind of, mm. Jesus like was like, or like a mascot or as, oh, well, Jesus is, is my means of salvation. Like I, I get saved mm-hmm. by Jesus, but that really didn't have any impact on anything else. <laughs> like, right. Or, well, you get saved by Jesus too. Like individuals get saved and, and it's more, it's gotta be Jesus, more than get that And Jesus, it, yeah. And Jesus is the, is the instrument that, that accomplishes that. So that's, right. that's great. But like, I remember in seminary, suddenly we were talking about the kingdom of God and Jesus coming and preaching the kingdom and, and enacting the kingdom in some way and the kingdom being experienced by people, but, but then also not being experienced by people in his time. Mm-hmm. And how does that work for us too? And suddenly we're, well, what are we even talking about? Like, is this what Jesus is about? And if we're following Jesus, like, what does that have to do? Well, didn't he always already save us? Like, so now, now what? Mm-hmm. And, and now we're going to follow Jesus and we're about the kingdom. What is all this? Like, I, right. y- you can feel sort of lost. And I think I got the sense as I was reading out of sorts that that was a similar kind of thing, not, not necessarily on the using Jesus as a tool. Like that was more my story, but but suddenly this realization that there's way more to Jesus than, than one thing. Oh, yeah. Right. And well, I think, absolutely. I think there's a lot of one thing kind of messaging. I think so. <laughs> right? I mean, and I, I know that I know the instinct is to, you know, package things and make them palatable and, and easily digestible for people. Um, I think a big thing that really shifted for me about the centrality of Jesus Christ and the, this kind of like Christocentric view of how things are like it changed how knowing Jesus changed how I read the Bible. It changed how I encountered church people. It changed how I, I mean, all, that relationship, that, that idea of like, hey, I'm apprenticed to this guy. I'm going to figure out how to do life the way that Jesus did badly almost every day of my life. <laughs> I, you know, but here we are anyway, right? I remember um, the realization, I remember like having to unpack and grapple with even the idea that like Jesus came to save us from God right? Like somehow that was the narrative that I had 
figured out is that like God's super angry and mad and full of wrath at us. Jesus had to do this thing, like you were saying, like on the tool, you know, side of things of like accomplishing salvation and even unpacking this thing of like, well, then are you afraid of God and who does? And and so even um, this stuff, uh, I remember reading in Hebrews, how um, the writer says that Jesus is the exact representation of God. Mm-hmm. And there was like this light bulb that went on in my, my soul. And isn't it funny sometimes, I feel like this is a really um, Holy Spirit-led thing, how you can read something like a hundred times. And then the time when it needs to be illuminated to you is the moment when all of a sudden you kind of get it. Like how I felt about yeah. Luke 6 that day at the, at the dining room table. And I remember having this sense of like, oh, well, who does God, who does Jesus say God is? And that's when I began to look through scripture and be like, oh, well, look at all the ways that half the time scripture feels like a um, log of all the ways we've misunderstood and misrepresented and mischaracterized God. <laughs> you know? Yeah, that's and true. comes to like pull back the temple curtain and be like, no, look, Jesus is, is saying God is the father that's waiting on the porch right. that is watching for you that runs down the lane and throws his arms around you before you've even had a chance to repent and throws a party because you're there. I mean, these are all the ways that Jesus came to show us what God is really like. Yeah, yeah. And even that was just like, well, then that's the life I'm participating in. Yeah. Then everything we do in our life is a prophetic act of saying, I think this is the way it's supposed to be. I think this is who God really is. I think this is what the world actually is. I think it's precious and beautiful and dear to God. And we are participating in the renewal of all things now. And then all those other things began to kind of almost fall into their right place in my mind somehow. Um, I think because then at that point, it changed how I saw everything. I was saying, oh, okay, I'm participating in something. I'm, I'm, I'm in on this. And I'm just so grateful because Jesus is always up to something. So now we get to be in on it. And that's spectacular. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty cool. I, last night, I we had this uh, study at our church and, and we've we've said it's all ages. So we've had some kids who've, who've come and it, it's still quite an adult oriented <laughs> study. Um, but we did, we were doing some activities and we've got, we had, we did this thing last night where I don't know if you've seen these, these, it's a ball sometimes used in a youth group and it's got all these different saying uh, questions on it. Anyway, you, you throw the ball and someone catches it and then you say, you know, whatever your right thumb is touching, mm. you answer that question. And it ranges from like just goofy stuff to, I can't treat sometimes heavy theological questions, um, <laughs> but we've got this one um, mom who's bringing her her daughter with her, and her daughter is I think three or four years old, and so mo- mostly she is just kind of playing during the study, but she participated in the next activity, and her thumb lands on what do you think God looks like, and she doesn't even stop. She says Jesus. Oh. And and the whole group just looks at one another and says, "Oh yeah, that's the right answer." Okay, <laughs> you, know, like, you know she doesn't always give Jesus as the answer because sometimes that's the answer to every children's story, right? But, but we're like, oh yeah, done me wrong. <laughs> that's right. What does God look like? The rest of us are all confused, but of course the three year old knows the answer. Jesus, yeah, exactly. Then that, um, isn't that always the way? Yes, it is? <laughs> what a surprise that Jesus is actually the key to understanding the Christian faith. That's uh, man. If I had a know, nickel for every time my kid said something. Uh, we have four children. <laughs> if I had a nickel for every single time that they like introduced or, or parsed some deep theological thought for me with like one word comments <laughs> or one little thing, I'd be, and, and I'm left standing there with like all my theology books around me going like, oh, oh yeah, you're yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. have it. You have it. You get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, you've kind of alluded a bit to 
um, sort of a sense of kind of coming back to the church or being surprised at Jesus showing you the church. And um, uh, on on page 103 of my book of uh, Out of Sorts, you wrote, uh, in a fractured and mobile and hyper-customized world, intentional community, plain old church feels like a radical act of faith and sometimes like a spiritual discipline. Um, so I'd love to hear you talk a little more about that, like how so and what is so important about plain old church? Um, you know, there's there's probably a lot of different ways I could answer that question and you could probably answer it better than I could. <laughs> the pastor of a, of a church. And so... But this is why I like the podcast where I get to ask yeah. the questions. <laughs> <laughs> Rats. Rats. Um, you know, I, I really struggled in church and I still do. I'll be honest. Yeah. You know, like there's, there's a lot of aspects of the institution of church and of religion that is really difficult um, for someone like me. Um, you know, I'm a liberal West Coaster. <laughs> who doesn't like being told what to do by anybody. Um, you know, and, and I think that there's something really, um, you know, wonderful about being able to customize and curate your life. Um, and yet at the same time, um, the people of God have been the number one place where I've experienced the healing and the presence of, of God. And I am so incredibly grateful and so even though the church has often been the place where I have felt a lot of deep wounds, it has also been the place that has been my greatest healing. Um, and so I'm like a certified church lady. Like I go to church, I, you know, I preach at church, I do bring people casseroles, like it is just a, the whole dog and pony show is happening over at our house. <laughs> and I don't think I'll ever get over the sometimes feeling of belonging everywhere and yet nowhere. Mm -hmm. um, that ends up, I think, coming to a lot of us. But at the same time, there is this real tremendous love for it. And one of the ways that I have um, unpacked that or understood it is almost like using the metaphor of marriage. Um, where when I look at like the big, huge institution of marriage and all the representations of it and all the ways it's done or not done or whatever else, it can feel super overwhelming um, when you look at it on paper, it's not always necessarily something that people would want to engage with because sometimes it's great and sometimes it's not. And, you know, even people's personal experiences based on their backgrounds or whatever else. But when it came down to it, and I wasn't sure in the abstract that I ever wanted to get married. You know, what, 20 years ago, I met, I met Ryan. Hmm. And all I wanted was to marry him. Yeah. And even now, it's not that I want to be married in the abstract. It's that I want to be married to him. I want our life together. I want the life that we've made together. And in a lot of ways, church has been very similar for me, where sometimes when I look at the big abstract whole thing, it can be super overwhelming, and I'm not sure if I want to participate. But when I look at particular communities, particularly groupings, or you know, not just my own church, but a lot of different churches, and I see people's faces, and I see all these generations and all these histories and all this beauty and all this pain and all this inconsistency and wonder and goodness. I love Jesus better when I'm with people who love Jesus and I want to know them. And there's this overwhelming sense of maybe I couldn't do the whole big abstract thing, but I love these people. And these are my people. They put up with a lot from me. <laughs> I'm incredibly grateful for the hospitality and welcoming goodness of community. 
Um, it has really deeply changed how I view even my, um, going back to your original question about Jesus in terms of like, it's, it's actually a communal thing. It's not just, you know, us four no more, you know, that there is this sense of needing to participate in life together and, and um, participate in the life of Christ together um, to encounter and see things that are lovely and, and good and, and whole together, to seek those things together, to be with people who drive you just a little bit crazy. <laughs> you know, it's, it's good, I think, for almost all of us. I mean, there's a million reasons why I love church now. Um, I love doing life with people. I love um, the way we look after one another. One of the things I still love to, I will never get over, is uh, communal worship. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so few places in our culture anymore where we actually sing together. Yeah. And I mean, it's just such a beautiful thing to sing with the people of God and to, you know, proclaim the things that we believe out ahead of the darkness that maybe even we're feeling, uh, to be prayed for, to be seen, to be welcomed, to show up for one another, to support one another. I mean, these, this is real family to me now. And, um, and I think like any family, it has its moments where you wonder if it's worth it, but then it always ends up being so incredibly more than you ever could have imagined too. And so, yeah, it's churches. I think we'll all, we'll be probably like one of those ongoing relationships of my life that I don't ever fully understand, but I'm so incredibly grateful mm-hmm. for this, the specifics and the reality of. I like as well that you called it a, a well, sometimes like a spiritual discipline. Oh um, yeah. <laughs> because I know like now you're talking a lot about the relationship, like it's, it's more relational mm-hmm. kind of language, but um, the spiritual discipline side of it, it kind of says to me, well, you know, we still go to church. We still participate in church and be the church with the other people, even when it doesn't really feel like I want to do that. Um, totally. You know, you know I remember this that's one how I, I feel about gonna... spiritual disciplines, right? Is that, okay, it's yeah. a discipline because sometimes mm-hmm. don't I don't feel to. like doing it. And then actually quite often, and, you know, even in prayer or reading scripture, the days that I don't want to are the days when I get surprised and, mm-hmm. and then something is happening that I really need to have happen. Um, and I, this is why I like asking the question. I mean, you do a lot of preaching as well, but it, it's not necessarily your, your main vocation. I, I have to be at church <laughs> for my right. job. So it's good for me to ask people who don't, who don't necessarily have that on a week in week out basis um, mm-hmm. to, to say, well, you know, why are why are you here? And, you know, what is it about? Why do you come here even on, on Sundays when you don't necessarily feel like coming here? Right. I think that there is a, a sense of um, spiritual discipline to it. But the reason why I, I think I even I use that language is because it's, it's formation. Yeah. Right? It's, a, it's, a, it's a process of formation. It's, it's what's forming you. Um, and, you know, that's one of the things I think, too, is it, that's even, you know, probably a little bit of a duh moment for most people, but you don't get to talk a lot and pontificate about church and community if you are not engaged with church and community, yeah. right? Like the, yeah. it, it has to come from within. And I think that it is one of those ideas that's fallen out of fashion, and yet it's probably more important now because in our society and in, and in our, our moment in culture and in time, the idea of a remnant of people who actually believe 
Jesus and who are committed to walking this out together and caring for one another um, is more countercultural probably than ever. Mm-hmm. Um, and so even that activity shapes us, you know, like we're not always, I mean, I've been deeply shaped by having to care for people, yeah. right? I mean, not just be cared for, which is its own kind of, of, of formation as well, right? Mm-hmm. Is to be in that a reciprocal or a mutual, mutual relationship with people where yeah. you're not, you know, always in a, a hierarchical kind of, you know, position. And so, I mean, I think that there's a, a lot of aspects about church, um, that do come down to um, what is the kind of life that I believe in and that I want it to be, and am I willing to participate in seeing that happen? Right. I'm not willing to abdicate church. I'm not willing to give up big words like salvation and sanctification and close, you know, and community to everyone else and not participate in those things myself. And so a big part of that, like you said, is there's a lot of Sundays where I show up and I'm like, I could pretty much be at home watching a sermon, you know, or listen to whatever music on TV. It's not about that. Right. It's about the communal nature of being together. It's about what we, what happens when we're together, of being prayed for, of being seen, of worshiping together, of learning together, of walking through life together. And there's, I will say, there's not a time that I don't end up at church after dragging my feet there the whole way that I don't leave being incredibly grateful that I came. Yeah. And found, find it, um, you know, uh, transformative in some way and it's not always because like everything's amazing sometimes it's just because you needed to be there or there was someone Mm -hmm. you needed to talk to or you needed to be prayed for or you just needed to get your butt out of bed like there's a million reasons why it's being formative for us um i will say i don't think it's required though and that's something that i know um you know, bothers people who are big apologists for the church. I don't think it's necessarily restricted to places that only meet on Sunday mornings. Like you can participate in the life of church in a lot of different iterations and ways. And there are moments in everybody's journey where that might look very different. And during these, you know, six years or seven years in particular that I never hardly ever went to church and was not participating in church. um, I found the gospel and the church in all the other places. And that was part of my story as well. And I'm incredibly grateful for all the ways I encountered and experienced church outside of the four walls and the Sunday morning thing. Um, and so, you know, there's always a bit of, a bit of um, wildness, I think, to it. And I don't know that we can tame it as much as we would like to. Yeah, I, I like that. I, I think the institution of the church really will freak out at, at people at you saying that. <laughs> but, um, but that's okay. I, I think I think you're bang on. Um I'm cognizant of your time. And, uh, and so I do want to wrap up, but I wanted to ask you, especially about ancient practices, because this podcast is mainly about, um, usually about what do we, how do we practice our own faith in our personal lives? Um, and what do we do? So I'd love to hear you talk a little bit about, you know, how did you practice your personal, uh, your personal faith? And then maybe what is it like now? Like how, what is, has it been a shift from where you might've been before? Cause that's kind of what this book is about as well. It's kind of a, a big shift in all areas, but in particular, I think there's, there was a big shift in, in sort of uncovering ancient practices of the church and, and learning about that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I came of age in happy, clappy churches that like, we, I didn't see a hymn until I was probably 22. <laughs> you know, like, we right. did not, you know, we, we were 
all of us who, and, I mean, and that's still in, where you're, where you're in, like, oh, that's yeah. still your tradition now, right? Totally. Like that's, yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm there with the flag wavers and the tambourine bangers and yeah. all those, <laughs> <fun talkers. laughs> those are my people. <laughs> so, yeah. But the, um, the funny thing is, is that, um, you know, like the, the church that we uh, came to faith in and the, the churches where we found ourselves in, uh, I think maybe like because the community in Saskatchewan where I grew up was very non-religious. And I know every part of Canada has their own religious identity. Um, you know, so people who, you know, came of age in Quebec or, you know, in Winnipeg or wherever else would have, you know, Steinbeck would have a very different you know, mm-hmm. religious experience, I think, than we did in Saskatchewan. Um, but in, you know, the working class neighborhoods where we were, religion wasn't practical. The churches were all empty. Nobody went to church. It wasn't my grandparents who were the last generation who went to church. It was their parents. And so I was like three generations away from anything that resembled, um, you know, religious practice. And so for us, I mean, we were all first generation believers. We didn't know what we didn't know. We didn't know where we fit in the big scheme. We didn't know that there were different kinds of Christians. Like we literally had no idea. And so... It wasn't until later in my life, I want to say, you know, my late 20s or early 30s um, was when I began to to stumble into the idea of there being more to the Christian tradition than I had ever known. Um, and I, I think like a lot of people, that transition happened or that threshold for that shift and that change was grief. Mm-hmm. Um I think that oftentimes grief becomes a, a liminal space for those of us who are being transformed or who are um, finding what exists to be dissatisfactory. Because, I mean, it's never just a head exercise for almost all of us, right? There's this sense of your actual life is speaking to you and these things are happening. And for, you know, for my husband and I, we had lost a number of babies before birth. Um, and my, some, you know, earlier in the pregnancy and, and, and a couple not so early. And, um, I found that I couldn't sing the songs that I'd always sung. I couldn't be around people who had all the answers and who had all the formulas for prayer of how to get your prayers answered. When you become part of the people of the unanswered prayers, it's a big company of us, yeah. um, those answers that exist in the light of certainty and victory and easy outcomes seem incredibly inadequate uh, and even cruel um, at times. And so that was for me, there's a lot of things about my tradition that I love and that I'm deeply grateful for, but that was something that I found really painful was that there's not a lot of room for people like me who are struggling or suffering or in pain or aren't getting their prayers answered or whatever it is, right? And so that for me was actually my entry point into ancient practices because I couldn't pray the way that I'd been taught to pray. I couldn't sing the songs the way that I'd been taught to worship God. I could hardly bear to be in the buildings that, you know, were filled with joy and, and you know, whatever else all the time. Um, and so all the things that I had used or all the practices or the disciplines or the ways that I had connected with God were slowly disappearing from me. And I was left saying, well, does this mean that I have no relationship with God now? Does this mean that I just simply am existing in kind of this hinterland of nothingness, which, you know, people do, right, for a long time. But I was, um, 
one Wednesday, I just happened to be driving by a little stone church and it was actually in, in San Antonio. And for, I don't, still don't, to this day, don't know what came over me, but I just pulled in. It was like at lunchtime. And I thought, I just need to go and sit somewhere. And this looks like the door is open. So I'll just go and sit in there. I couldn't bring myself to go anywhere else. And I remember walking in and they were right in the middle of an Ash Wednesday service. And I'd never heard of Ash Wednesday, never seen it, never practiced it. I mean, and if you tell most people that the way that they're going to come to know Jesus is through like the beginning of Lent, they would have been like, I know. this is not part of the church growth strategy, right? Yeah. So. Right. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we don't we don't in. widely advertise our Ash Wednesday service. No. <laughs> here, come and come and hear about your mortality. Yeah. <laughs> but I remember um, sitting there in the seat and feeling like for the first time there was room for my grief. Yeah. That for the first time there was room for my suffering. There was room for my unanswered prayers. There was room for the imperfection. There was room for the not yet that I was experiencing of the kingdom of God in that moment. And they, they talked about these things. There was like that, this dislocated joint just kind of like locked back into place. And that for me was an entry point to being able to understand um, that there were, when I didn't have words to pray, the liturgy gave me words. When I did not know what to say, that there were, there were saints who had come before me who could help me um, with that kind of prayer, that there were observations that would, um, you know, fill some of those voids. And, and, you know, that opened up for me now for a number of years where the church calendar has been a huge part of my life, Advent and Lent and Ash Wednesday and, you know, Epiphany. Of course, Pentecost is a big one for me, <laughs> you know, all, and in an ordinary time. I mean, all these different things about the church calendar and, and uh, the Book of Common Prayer and um, liturgy and um, the traditions of those things, they, they stopped being, I had always been taught that that was dead, empty religion. And instead, I found it just teeming with life and yeah. goodness and richness, like this heritage that I never knew was actually mine. And so that for me was the path back to a lot of goodness and a lot of healing. The funny thing is, of course, is that I've circled around so much now that I'm back where I began, right? I'm back in, you know, small, happy, clappy churches with flag wavers and tongue talkers that, you know, don't observe the church calendar. And, you know, <laughs> but yet that's okay. And it still is, a, it's almost like that richness, like once you've had a chance to like realize how big and generous and wide and good the uh, tent of God is, you begin to realize that you all belong to each other and it's okay. That I think there's things that my tradition can bring to a liturgical tradition. Um, and then I think that there's things that the liturgical tr tradition can bring to, you know, charismatic communities like my own. Um, and I love seeing the tribalism disappear. I, I'm finding a lot of you know, happy, clappy tongue talkers in liturgical churches. And I'm finding a lot of liturgical people in my kind of churches. Mm -hmm. And so it's a fun melding together of things that I think is really long overdue and a beautiful thing. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that is awesome. Um, I wish we had longer to be able to kind of dive more into stuff and ask you, Oh, it's not <laughs> you. It's, uh, yeah. No, no, no. Everything, I'm sure. So. Um, that's okay. I I will uh, I, I record the intros later. People know, but uh, maybe I'll I'll probably read people from uh, read to people a, a section in your book about hope, which is just a phenomenal. It's probably my favorite part mm -hmm. of the book. Um, so I would have loved to ask you about it, but people will just have to hear it in the intro, and I will just tell them how fantastic it is. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, and maybe we get a chance to cross paths again. So um, and 
or if people ever have had a chance to go and listen to Sarah Bessie speak, go and take the opportunity <laughs> because it wasn't this great. Um, yeah, thank you so much for joining me today. I really loved it. Oh, it has been just a joy. Thank you so much, Matt, for the invitation and blessings on you and your ministry and on the podcast and in every way. Stay in touch. Yeah, thanks. All right, take care. Bye. Bye-bye.